Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Did you know that Gabby Petito's case brought awareness to more missing persons cases? 30 year old Lauren Cho went missing around the same time that Gabby did. Today, I will share Lauren's story in hopes of bringing awareness to her case. My name is Sophia Talley, and this is True Crime Inet. Cho, who was lovingly known by friends as L, was a stunning 30-year-old Korean-American woman from New Jersey, and she was a person with many talents. She was definitely my type of girl as she delved into many pursuits. She was an accomplished soprano singer who toured Europe. Later, she passed on her talents as a high school music teacher. In her free time, she was very active in her local church and loved being an auntie. Overall, she just sounds like an outstanding woman, citizen, and mentor who really made the best out of life. But like many of us, Lauren had a heart for adventure. So in late 2020, she turned in her notice and decided to embark on a nomadic lifestyle with her then-boyfriend, Cody Orell. Lauren and Cody went on a cross-country road trip to California before settling in Bombay Beach. They lived in a school bus that Lauren bought, and they parked in a compound called The Hole. The Hole was a registered adult-only Airbnb where free-spirited people could camp in their vehicles, clothing optional. It was a close-knit community where Lauren thrived, and Lauren didn't just live at the hole, but she worked at the Airbnb as a private chef. Also, every night, Lauren and Cody hosted dinners for their closest friends. Lauren had an interest in cooking and was in the midst of converting her school bus into a food truck. One of her notable dishes was her vegan basil ice cream, which just sounds amazing to me, especially with a nice glass of champagne, okay? On Monday, June 28th at 3 p.m., an argument broke out between Lauren and Cody. By now, they had broken up, but they were still living together as friends. Lauren had moved on and, according to Cody, was seeing other people. Tracy Cloud, a housekeeper that worked for the whole, the compound where Lauren and Cody lived, thought that she saw Lauren that morning. She tells News Nation, and I quote, Evidently, they had started drinking in the daytime, early in the day, or whatever, and she had drank too much. When she wanted to leave, her then-boyfriend wouldn't let her take the vehicle, and evidently, that's when she got upset. After the argument, the couple separated with Cody going back into the bus and Lauren 
walking away. She was spotted near Benmar Trail and Hoopa Road, a place where she would go for walks on a marked trail. Later, when Lauren failed to return home, Cody called three of their friends to organize a search for her, but they couldn't find a trace of her. No footprints, nothing. At 5.13 p.m., Cody decided to call the police, who also could not find Lauren. Cody says about the moment his ex-girlfriend disappeared, there was a 10-minute window there and she just evaporated. But Lauren's loved ones just didn't understand how this could have happened so quickly. Lynn Garardi, a friend and former co-worker of Lauren, says of her friend's disappearance, all of her friends and family know that she wouldn't have just walked away from her life. She wouldn't have just evaporated. She wouldn't have just disappeared like this, end quote. And Lynn has a point. Firstly, Lauren walked away with absolutely nothing on her. No phone, no wallet, water, nothing. It was approximately 115 degrees that day, and they are literally camping in a wild desert with a very dry, unforgiving climate. There's not many places where she could have went for very long. Cody informed the police that he believes Lauren got a ride from someone, which would explain the lack of her footprints. He says on Sunday, which is the day before, he says, and I quote, on Sunday, she was going out to meet someone and wasn't saying who. I didn't pry into it then, but of course now I wish. Cody stopped there, unable to finish. And by the way, he's saying Sunday, which we're assuming is the day before she disappeared, which was on a Monday. And though Cody's hypothesis is plausible, the timing just seems too perfect. The minute that they had an argument, she's just able to jump into a car without her cell phone and vanish. I mean, wouldn't you need to text that person that you're ready to go? And that's only if they already knew where she was. But then if you think about what the housekeeper said, they were arguing about her taking the vehicle. I'm guessing the bus, but we we don't know. She was trying to take this vehicle, possibly to see this person, but couldn't because Cody wouldn't give her the keys. And if she was drunk, then rightfully so. But why would she try to take her car to see someone who was already on their way there? Because they would have to be already on their way at this point. If Cody's 10-minute time frame is correct, hypothetically speaking, that's just a very short window of time from texting someone, can you pick me up? I can't drive. Again, without her phone in her possession. And remember, they are essentially camping in the desert on a compound where it would probably take more than 10 minutes to get ready, get into your car and go to this place. And if she was talking to someone within the compound, then why wouldn't she just walk? The story here for me is just not clicking, but maybe the police and Cody know something that we don't. Just to be clear, I'm not trying to poke holes in this story or do anything sus. I'm just trying to work through the facts and understand what happened so that way I can then convey this information to you in hopes of spreading awareness about Lauren's case. But I will say, None of Lauren's loved ones, at least the ones that spoke to media outlets at this time, believe that she would just leave willingly. As of now, at the time of 
her disappearance, the police believe that she went missing on her own accord. But everyone close to her disputes this idea. And though most of these claims were from friends back in New Jersey, I wanted to point your attention to a man named RJ OK, who was very close to Lauren and Cody. So close, in fact, that he was one of the three friends that Cody called to conduct a search that day, the day that Lauren went missing. RJ's testimony is documented in an interview that he did with High Desert Star. And what he had to say tells a completely different story. I'm going to read off some of these quotes and then you can tell me if they sound like someone who wants to run away from their life. RJ says, she was in the middle of working on her bus. The day she went missing, she texted me earlier asking for help on it. End quote. So this is interesting because remember, she's working on her bus to create a food truck. And she asked for help and expected help from RJ later that day. So she was making plans really near in the future. Lauren also had a parakeet named Porkchop. And RJ says about their relationship, and this is a quote, she would be worried if she was going to be away from him for a day. So that's another thing that's worrying me. End quote. So if she was planning on leaving with this person, she would have most likely taken her bird or made plans for the bird so that way it continued to get fed and taken care of. Another thing RJ said was, I had seen her the night before. We had dinner the night before. I thought for sure she'd be back for dinner again that night. End quote. Though people are unpredictable, especially when there's alcohol and hurt feelings involved, you would think that Lauren would have stayed on the trails that she knew or if she did get a ride come back to the life that she was working so hard to build cody though once again has a conflicting story he says and this is a quote Elle's a super talented person she's a black belt in taekwondo and was teaching taekwondo at the age of 12 she's one of those super talented people who don't think they are It's tragic. That sense of self-confidence isn't there. If you're not watching, I'm making a face. And I'm going to be honest here. When I first read this quote, I found it highly inappropriate to point out someone's faults during their missing person investigation. But then I thought that people grieve in different ways. And on top of grieving a disappearance of Lauren, he's possibly even grieving the loss of their relationship. But even with weighing the circumstances, the statement is still hella weird. Why bring up her insecurities? Is he trying to plant an idea? Am I looking too deep into this? Do you also find that weird? Let me know. Still, the police see her as voluntarily missing. Despite this, they actually continue to search for her. They searched by air with canines. Originally, the Morongo Basin sheriffs were on the case, but they even reached out to San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department, who served the geographically largest county in the U.S. because they had a specialized investigation division. So they're working with a big department with a lot of experience and they still couldn't find her on october 9th 2021 police were conducting a search for lauren they were searching through the yucca valley when police found human remains coincidentally 
near the last place where Lauren was seen. On October 28th, police confirmed that the remains were Lauren Cho. Police has yet to reveal to the public how she died and have only said that they are waiting on toxicology to determine her cause of death. Now recording this on January 19, 2022, and no more statements have been made by the police since October 28th. Cody did not even make a statement after the finding of his girlfriend, pleading no comment to a news outlet that he had previously spoken to. And I'm only mentioning this because people would immediately find that suspicious. But honestly, I just find it smart. I said this before, and I'll say it again. If you are involved in an investigation, specifically an unexplained death, listen to your lawyers who would most likely tell you to shut it. Okay, because look at what we're doing right now. We're already analyzing what he said prior to her remains being found. And that's just not to protect him, but also to protect the case. So that's what we know about Lauren's disappearance. I believe that the police know how she died because by now toxicology would be back. And if my theory is correct, if the police do know how she died, then now we need to ask ourselves, why aren't they talking? And it could be that they are just building a case and whether or not that case involves foul play we won't know until more details are made public i mean the case could just be talking about maybe how she was intoxicated maybe that's why they're waiting for toxicology to come back there's one case i was talking about where they were talking about a possibility was this person ate a poisonous plant and died from that maybe they're looking at that as well you know there's so many other things other than foul play that could have happened to Lauren and we just have to be aware of that as well. That being said, before I conclude this episode, I did want to talk about how Lauren's case received very little media attention as opposed to the Gabby Petito case, who, remember, was also a woman who went on a cross-country road trip with her boyfriend only to go missing. Gabby's remains were sadly found on September 19, 2021 in Wyoming, only days before Lauren was found. The public was rightfully upset that Lauren's case did not get the attention of Gabby's especially when there are clear similarities to the two cases. In response to the public outrage, Lauren's family writes, in a comment on the Find Lauren Cho Facebook page, we realize that on the surface, the public information for both cases share some similarities. We understand the frustration many of you have expressed about how and why certain cases receive national coverage. Ultimately, these cases are not the same, and the differences run deeper than what meets the public eye. It then goes on to say, we are wholly appreciative of the love that continues to be shown to L. We empathize deeply with Gabby's family and hope that both of our cases bring forth positive resolution. End quote. And here's what I think. From my research, I don't think that the police slacked off in searching for Lauren. This happens all the time, where hikers will go missing not too far from a marked trail, and they just aren't found for many reasons. Usually, it's a large weather event, but in this case, the terrain was just so rough and unforgiving. It's a needle in a haystack situation here. But I do find fault in the public's interest in Lauren's case. Public interest would have propelled Lauren's case and possibly her remains could have been found faster. And if you don't believe me, then take a look at my sources. Most of the interviews done right after Lauren's disappearance are from local media outlets with a very small reach. All of the high-profile outlets see and 
New York Post, the Daily Beast, the Guardian did not discuss Lauren's disappearance until the Gabby Petito case. And what upsets me as well is in all of these articles, they have to include Gabby's name, despite the fact that her case is pretty much solved at this point. And they only include her name for clickbait and views and SEO searches because even they know that no one would click on Lauren Cho's name. In this instance, the public shouldn't be mad at anyone but themselves because it just shows that the missing white women syndrome is real and it's deeper than police incompetence. And if you do not know what missing white women syndrome is, I recommend that you check on my first two episodes of season two where I delve deeper into this. So yes, I sound upset because I am and I just hope that we as a community learn from this and continue to give media attention to our missing women of color. My name is Sophia Talley, and this is True Crime in It. And now it's time for an intermission. So today I haven't been working on anything new besides my books coming out in March. I'm so excited. I'm going to be doing a lot of different interviews for that. But something that I've been working on as a person, as a family here is we have been trying to become more eco-friendly and we have been trying to accomplish this by using my love for knitting. So I already talked about last week knitting washcloths. I think I talked about that. But anyway, if I haven't, I've been knitting a lot of washcloths, namely because uh, my son loves them. But my husband and I were trying to look into getting like more kitchen towels to reduce our usage of paper towels and reduce our usage of like those bleach wipes that I like to use. I've been thinking about knitting kitchen towels. The problem here is that I don't have a lot of time for knitting kitchen towels. So I'm going to employ my circular knitting machine, which I I use to make hats. If you haven't seen my circular knitting machine, I'm gonna post some videos where I where I talk about using it on YouTube. And what I love about it is I use it for hats, I use it for cowls, I use it for scarves, I use it for headbands, literally any small gift that I like to give around Christmas time. That knitting machine is a godsend because I can break out a gift in 20 minutes. It's amazing. In fact, we were on our way to a gift exchange this past Christmas and I was literally had my drill attachment to my knitting machine and was just making a hat for the gift exchange in the car. So yeah, and literally we were only like 15 minutes away from our destination and the hat was done. It was, it's amazing. So I use that for that, but I'm going to use it to make double thick uh, towels. So I plan on, and I haven't done this yet. I'm just working this out of my head. I plan on making like maybe a 60 row kitchen towel, maybe a hundred row kitchen towel, something like that in the round. So working in the round. And then I was going to three needle bind off the ends. So that way it's a double thick 
cotton towel. And what's good about that is that it'll be more absorbent. It'll, you can use it more than like one thick one layer cotton and it's just faster to work on the round on these knitting machines than it is to work on a panel i hate working on a panel on that thing panel knitting they call it but it's it's just knitting flat and it grinds my gears you have to go back and forth it's hard to use the drill when you're using it it's easy to drop stitches it's just not my cup of tea that's why you see a lot more people working in the round because it's just more relaxing and more enjoyable it can be done working flat can be done but i just don't find it enjoyable and if i don't find it enjoyable enjoyable and it's part of my hobby, guess what? I don't do it. I don't do it. So that's why I wanted to do it double thick, but also it makes more sense. And I plan on making a bunch of these. I plan on this being like my, I need a break from working knitting. And so I'm super excited to get that going. I'm going to make a bunch of those and spend time three needle binding them off. And yeah, I'm super excited to share that with you guys. I'm so excited for some towels, guys. I'm so excited. And while we're talking about that, I want to know what is your favorite eco-friendly knit? And what I mean by that, something you may use around the house that has saved your family from like needing to consume more and more commercially made things. So for example, a lot of people knit makeup wipes or uh, hand towels or anything like that. Like what is your favorite? What is your favorite eco-friendly knit? Let me know in the comments in the YouTube video or in the show notes. Anyway, that was the Knitter Mission and I will see you guys next week. Bye. My name is Sophia Talley and that was True Crime and Knit. For more information, including show notes, sources, and resources, please visit www.thedrugknitter.com slash true crime. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.